And everybody said, Amen. Amen. So, yes, we're glad you're here tonight. And if you didn't get a handout, get one of those. And we're going to talk about uh, Simeon and Levi. As I studied uh, this lesson this week, I got really excited. So I'm pumped uh, to talk about these two because, man, there's some, there's some awesome stuff in this lesson. And so, like I said, if you didn't, listen to the, uh, you didn't catch the others, listen to it on our website or on SoundCloud. But uh, if you have your Bibles, turn with me to Genesis chapter 34. If you don't have a Bible, there's one under the seat in front of you. Genesis 34, verse 25, and you have a handout, and there's some blanks on there you can fill out. But we're going to talk about the 12 tribes of Israel, the tribes of Simeon and Levi, uh, and the title of this one is Divided and Scattered, Divided and Scattered, and we're really going to talk about uh, righteous zeal or righteous indignation. Uh, um, So, okay, so what is righteous indignation? How many people have heard that? term before, righteous indignation. Uh, You know, that's not a word we use a lot, but uh, one definition says this, righteous indignation is a reactive emotion of anger over mistreatment, insult, or malice of another. It's akin to what is called the sense of justice, and that Wikipedia said that one. But uh, my wife, if you uh, get to know her, this is her. She could have been a lawyer uh, in a, in a, in another day, right? Uh, she, if anybody's taken advantage of, or if she comes across a situation that's not fair, she gets really angry. And normally, it's if I win at a board game versus her. She thinks it's not fair. She, you know, but but seriously, if if uh, we go and we see, and if she watches a movie and the bad guy wins, she can't hardly stand to watch the show. It just she has that that anger about her when things aren't fair. And I think it. Uh, stems from raising with uh, a, a mean brother and, you know, more siblings. I was the only child, so everything was perfect because I was perfect. But, but you know, the, she has that righteous indignation uh, a lot in her. And so it's, a, it's an anger that comes when you feel something being done unjustly. Uh, and we're going to talk about that zeal uh, because sometimes uh, we can ask the question, is getting angry wrong or when is getting angry right? Because sometimes we think about anger as a bad thing. So we're going to talk about bad kind of anger and good kind of anger. Because if we're honest, I bet a lot of people in the room uh, deal with anger, uh, some more than others. So we're going to talk about two brothers. One is going to end well and one's going to end badly. But the two brothers we're going to talk about tonight are Simeon and Levi. And Simeon and Levi are the second and third son of Leah. So Leah is Jacob's first wife. Uh, remember, he was tricked into marrying Levi by his uncle Laban. Remember, this is kind of Old Testament now, so we've got some interfamily marriage, right? But uh, uh, his uncle uh, Laban tricked him into marrying his oldest daughter, Leah. They had a first son named Reuben, which his name means see a son. And then now we have Simeon. So Genesis 29, verse 33 says, And she conceived again and bore a son, and because the Lord hath heard what I w- that I was hated, remember she, she felt hated because Jacob really loved Rachel, uh, and he said, therefore God has given me this son also, and she called his name Simeon, which means God hears. I think that's one of your blanks. But God hears. She felt like God heard her case, so that's what she named her son. Simeon, God has heard me, or God hears, or just simply hears. Uh, so he's the full brother to Reuben and Levi and Judah and Issachar. Uh, he's the full brother to Dinah uh, later on. So he's Leah's kid. And uh, his symbol uh, is a gate or a sword. And that's on the breastplate. If you uh, kind of know anything about uh, ancient Israel history, the priest uh, who went before the ark uh, and went before the temple later on, he would have a breastplate on it. In that breastplate were 12 stones, each representing the tribes. And on that stone, or on that uh, breastplate, uh, Simeon would be represented with blue or a sapphire stone. And as far as a banner, it would be a gate. And we'll talk about that here in a little bit. So there's Simeon, and then there's Levi. And Levi, she prays in Genesis 29, verse 34, she said, And she conceived again and bore a son and said, Now this time my husband will be uh, come attached or joined to me, because I have borne him three sons. So she named his name Levi, which means joined to. 
Uh, so she felt like, man, this will make my husband love me. He'll be joined to me. So she named her son. You know, it, can you imagine if we did this in modern day? You know, I was really hungry for a, a hamburger on my way to the hospital, so I named my kid Hangry. You know what I mean? Like, we don't do that today, but whatever she was going through at the moment, she named her kids, uh, hey, I wish my son loved me. And <laughs> can you imagine? You're the kid, you know, at the dinner table that says, hey, we named you this because your dad didn't love your mom, and we, every time you sit down and eat the table, and when your dad calls out your name, hey, Levi, he's calling out, join to. Hey, join to, won't you, won't you come to eat dinner? Or, hey, God hears, because your mother prayed that I would hear, you know. Just, just the dynamics of that in a whole other way uh, can kind of paint you this family, all right, and what it would uh, put on you as a young kid, right? And so Levi, his name is joined to, his, and he didn't have a, a symbol, because we'll talk about that in a second. He's not on the breastplate of the high priest, but he does have a stone. Uh, no, sorry, he's, his symbol is the breastplate of the high priest, sorry, but he doesn't have a stone on the breastplate. And so these two kids, they grow up as partners uh, in crime. Uh, there we go. But we're going to talk about why they're divided and scattered and there's the pictures of the, that's the picture of the breastplate uh, and the stone colors and the tribes, all right? And so uh, you can look at that later. I've got a picture of it here uh, afterwards. But if you've got your Bibles, you're in Genesis 34, verse 25. So we have these two brothers. Uh, they come out of uh, issues with their family. They're born out of issues with their mom and their dad. They grow up probably close in age. And the, the Bible talks about them kind of being of one mind, kind of two peas in a pod, all right? How many people have a brother or a sister you're really, really close to? Like you are just always in trouble together. That's these guys, all right? And so what happens is Jacob, and he moves his family all to from the uh, place where Laban was, and he moves his whole family into the promised land. And as he goes there, he hasn't really gotten back to where he ought to be. Remember, they have... Uh, Family idols coming with them. They've got faith issues. Man, Jacob's got faith issues with God. He's wrestled with God. Got his name changed, but he's not living in that identity quite yet. And um, about this time, they haven't really even gone back to the place of Bethel where he saw the angels descending and ascending. He's gone back to another place. Uh, And in this place where he's at, his daughter, Dinah, his only daughter... uh, the Bible says that she went out to visit the ladies of the land or the daughters of the land to see how the rest of the world lives. And there's a problem right there. So she leaves home, probably as a teenager, young adult. She leaves home to go tour the local Canaanite, you know, pagan land and see how they live. While she's out there, the prince of the land named Shechem uh, finds her attractive and he basically takes her or rapes her uh, or... Uh, does things inappropriate for the day. Some authors kind of debate whether she was fully on raped, but either way, it was something done to her very not good. Uh, so she was disgraced. And so there comes this moment where the brothers have gotten really, really mad about this Canaanite prince, but the, the father of this Canaanite prince, his name is Hamor, he comes to Jacob, he says, hey, my son really does love your daughter, and why don't we intermarry, uh, and then we'll make this thing okay you know, I know something bad happened, but he really did love her. It's, didn't that make things, doesn't make sin okay, because I really love the person, right? Uh, I really had good intentions. Uh, and so let's make this okay. And Jacob, for whatever reason, and we don't know, for whatever reason, Jacob felt pressured by this. And Jacob agrees to it. He thinks it's a good thing. I don't know if he wants to just cover up the sin of his daughter, or if he wants to appease people living in the land, or maybe he's scared because they outnumber him and his family. Now, even though Jacob had a huge family and he's got tons of servants and camels and sheep, since he's a rich, rich man, but he's small compared to all of the Canaanite lords, okay? Now, these people are not cool. Like, I mean, they put people on sticks and stakes and, you know, I mean, these are bad dudes, right? This is way back when when things are rough and, and vile. People kill babies and stuff like that, kind of like today. You know, it was really, really bad back then, right? Uh, and so... He says, okay, let's do that. And the brothers say, hey, but we're not going to, we don't give our, our sister over to people. And Jacob should have known this. His dad, when he was young, they sent him away to go find Rachel and Leah because his daddy told him, we don't marry 
from people in the pagan lands. We only marry within the family of godly people. So Jacob knew he should never have given his daughter in marriage, but he pressured into it. Well, this made his sons, the close brothers of Dinah, Simeon and Levi specifically, very, very angry. And they began a plot. This is not a good plot. But the idea was they said, hey, fine. If you want to marry our sister, dad, don't you think this is a good idea? The law says through Abraham, you know, we made this covenant with Abraham to God. We should all be circumcised. Uh, And so if they want to do this, then they need to have their whole village be circumcised. And for whatever reason, the Canaanite lords said, okay, let's do that. But secretly, the Canaanite lords made this behind-the-door deal. They said, guys, if we all do this, if all the men in the village do this, uh, we'll intermarry with them and maybe... Uh, we'll get some of their sheep and their goats and their prosperity because the hand of the Lord is really on these people and they're blessed. But if we marry with them, we'll be blessed too. See how the devil works and how sin seems appealing? And if you just begin to compromise, maybe you get some of these other worldly blessings plus God's blessings. So this is the enemy trying to sow seed. Let's cover up a sin. Let's give in to the world and to peer pressure. Let's compromise on some issues. And the enemy's thinking, oh yeah, if they'll just compromise... I'll get their blessing. That's how the world wins our young people, right there off the bat. And so they said, okay, let's do this. You convince them. Simeon and Levi begin to talk. Let's convince them to get circumcised. Now, on the other side, they're saying, well, let's get circumcised, and then we'll be, we'll be able to take off their blessing. Now, look in here, Genesis 34, verse 25. So this bad thing is about to happen. All right, this bad thing happens because, one, Dinah put herself in a situation to get too close to the world. And it wasn't her fault by any sense of the means, but she had put herself in a situation. It's kind of like, in my mind, it's these that we see so many teenagers going to these wild parties and something bad happened. Did they cause the bad thing to happen? No. But would it have happened had you gone to that wild, drunk party and been taken advantage of? It's kind of that same argument here with Dinah. It's not her fault in any sense of the word, but she put herself in a situation where it was more likely for bad things to happen. Then we see the people of God being fearful of the consequence of the world. So all of all, this is a messy situation. But these guys get circumcised. There's a plot on Simeon and Levi's side. There's a plot on the enemy's side, Shechem and his father. Now, it came about on the third day when they were in pain. These are all the men of the, of the city. That two of Jacob's sons, Simeon and Levi, Dinah's brothers, each took his sword, came upon the city unawares, and killed every male. They killed Hamor, the father, his son Shechem with the edge of the sword, took Dinah from Shechem's house, and went forth. Jacob's son came upon the slain and the looted in the city. So all the brothers now come up, because they defiled their sister. They took their flocks, their herds, their donkeys, and that's which the city uh, which was in the field. They captured and looted all the wealth and all the little ones, even their wives, that, even all that was in the houses. They took his plunder. Then Jacob said to Simeon and Levi, You have brought trouble on me by making me odious among the inhabitants of the land, among all the Canaanites and the Perizzites, and my men being few in number, they will gather together against me and attack me, and I will be destroyed, I and my household. But then they said, Should he treat our sister as a harlot? Okay, now, there's so much wrong with this passage and these people. Jacob's compromised. Dinah's put herself in a bad situation. The enemies plotted, but so, so is Simeon and Levi. They've plotted murder. Uh, they've plotted vengeance. It's premeditated murder. They didn't just kill Hamor and Shechem, or Shechem, the guy that did the thing. They killed the whole city. Then they plundered it all. Then they stole their wives and kids and made them slaves and basically ruined, I mean, for one man's sin, they destroyed a whole people. So there's anger and and, and zealousness that goes far beyond. And then you have Jacob then doubting and fearing. This is a guy who just saw the armies of God, who just saw God provide for him, saw angels descending and descending, who's seen God do all these great things, and now he's fearing an enemy when God has brought him to the land. So there's just a complete dysfunction of faith and family and morality uh, and, and just self-control. And so these boys, living under a father like that, have gone for vengeance and they've got no remorse whatsoever. It says they, uh, they killed the city beyond reason, all for the sin of one man. 
Look, and it says, should our city treat our I mean, they just killed a whole bunch of people. They got slaves, babies crying, women over here, blood all over the place. Uh, not to mention, they took down a people who were defenseless, right? There was no honor in that. Uh, and one author talks about that their fierce anger and cruel wrath were inconsistent with a position uh, as sons of Israel, which Israel in one translation can mean prince of God. So they didn't act very godlike or honorable. But, I mean, how many, as fathers, I'm thinking, eh, yeah, I got two girls. I'm thinking, you know, hey, you did a bad thing, blah, 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 you were plotting against me, and some part of you just has to kind of say, you know, it wasn't that bad of a deal. You know, you wanted to plot against me, you uh, abused my daughter. Sorry, buddy, this is how it happens. And, and you see that there's a little bit of of righteous anger in here. But then when it's unbridled, you see how it in turn actually turns to sin too. And I think about Christianity in the same way. Let's just take an example. I can get really mad about the news or things that are happening today with a little bit of righteous anger. But then I can let it go too far and it can be bittering it can take away my faith. It can make me unpleasant to be around. I can get irritable. I can get angry. I can get angry at other people who have different views. I can start looking at them in a bad light. You know what I'm saying? Right? And, and I think it's the same way. We can get mad at our workplaces and say, so-and-so is cheating the system. Do you know, my wife and I talk about this a lot, when she works in a secular job, sometimes people are not honorable with their days off. Oh, I'm sick. And then you go to Walmart, and they're like, you know, in yoga pants, and they look like just been exercising. And you're like, well, she wasn't sick. It makes you get angry. And, and there's a little bit of that. It's true. It's okay to get angry because that's righteous anger. But if you start treating that person differently, and you look at them, and you talk to your other coworkers about them, and you start running them down because you get too angry, then we're going like Simeon and Levi. We're crossing the line. And so that's these, these guys. Now, we've probably not murdered a whole village for our anger, but that's the way that we are. So, now look in Genesis 49. So, the, no remorse, vengeance on their own, even though there was some righteousness in it, but because of the complete dysfunction of this family in so many levels. We don't even have time tonight to go into that whole passage and how much was wrong with Jacob and how much was wrong with what Dinah did and how much was wrong with what Levi and Simeon did. But it would be 40 years later. You know... We said last week, beware your sin will find you out. There's always a consequence for sin. It may not be evident right now, but it will be evident someday, whether in this life or in the next. Genesis 49, verse 5. So again, on this study that we're on, we're looking every week at the prophecy that their father gives these kids. Genesis 49, verse 5. Four years later, on his deathbed, Jacob prophesied, Simeon and Levi, their brethren, instruments of cruelty, are in their inhabitants, or in their habitations. O my soul, come not thou into their secret, under their assembly, mine honor. Be not united, for in their anger they slew men, in their self-will they hamstrung oxen. Basically, they killed something uh, in a bad, cruel way. Like you hamstrung something, you kind of watched it slowly die. You know, it's like you just put it out of its misery, but you didn't, you let it slowly die. Uh, Cursed be their anger, for it was fierce, and their wrath, for it was cruel. I will divide them in Jacob and scatter them in Israel. Now, there had to be, there's 40 years of living between these incidences. Now, maybe these kids continue to be more mean as the years went on. But here you are 40 years later, and the Holy Spirit prophesies to your father, this is, you're a cruel and mean person, you, uh, you would like to let things suffer, and you will be divided and scattered. You and your descendants will be divided and scattered. Oh, thanks, Dad. Thanks for my inheritance. You know, just why don't you write me out of the will? Because this is worse than that. And so there, it, uh, as it's basically saying in this passage, it's saying that neither of these kids would possess their own portion of God's promises, and they would be scattered through the rest of the other tribes, through their brothers. But think about it. Can you sympathize with Simeon and Levi? You've got to think. I mean, wouldn't we, here's how we think. God, that was 40 years ago. 
Lord, I was stupid back then. God, that was back then. I've changed. I've grown up. I'm more mature now. Or, uh, God, don't you think that was just in some sense of the way? We didn't have judges and lawyers and cops. God, don't you think that was just in some way? But here we go. That no matter where we do, even in ignorance or time passes. Think about this. It's so important for today. God's judgment will judge every sin. Isn't that kind of scary? But God, I, I didn't mean it years ago. I was a teenager. And you think, well, I've become a better person now. doesn't matter. You, we've committed a sin. We'll be judged for every sin. Now, unless we're under the blood of Jesus, we'll get to that. But think about that, the severity. Because as, as, uh, we, we whitewash things a lot as humans. But you answer, if you are apart from Jesus Christ, you will answer for every single sin individually be judged for every single sin. Is that not scary? I mean, because you think, God, how did you not have empathy on these two kids 40 years later, it, but you're judging them on that day for something they did? And, and that should put everything that we do as far as sin into perspective, that God looks at sin and he has to judge it, which is scary, Right? Uh, it's a scary thing to fall into the hands of an angry God, right? Uh, so this unbridled anger would get him into trouble. Uh, and I can look at our, my life and you say, man, you know, sometimes in the heat of anger, I've probably said something I regretted or done something I've regretted. In the heat of anger, things have come out of me that I don't even know where they came from. And maybe it started off with a little validity, but then it got real bad real quick. And I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand, but I think we could probably all say, hey, I've been there, done that. So here's the consequence for Simeon of that. Look with me uh, to Numbers 25. You can jump ahead with me. Number, numbers 25. Okay, so let's talk about what happens. Now, these guys grow up. They have a bunch of families. They go on, and they become a big tribe. This is the tribe of Simeon. Let's talk about Simeon for a second. Simeon is going to live out his father's prophecy. Let's go back. There we go. Uh, he's going to live out his father's prophecy. He's going to go on. Simeon's going to marry uh, some normal, uh, approvable ladies, but he's going to marry one Canaanite lady, and he's going to have one Canaanite son with him. Now, look at the irony in this. He goes and he was a, uh, opposed to his sister, when she was raped, but she, he was opposed to her marrying a pagan man. What does he do? He goes off later in life, marries a pagan woman, has a pagan-born son, a Canaanite son. So he kind of, he's inconsistent in his own convictions. Don't you know how that sin works? I'm going to call the sin out of there, get angry about that sin, but then I'm going to go and do the same thing later on. How many people have heard that before? Like, what do you mean? How can you get angry at that? You did the same thing. But here we go. Sin's inconsistent. Uh, And it it says that he's a broken gate. Because remember, his symbol was a gate. So we're going to call him the broken gate. Here's what happens. Simeon begins as the third largest tribe in the time of Moses. And here's the number. It was uh, 59,300. I think that's on your sheet. 59,300. That's how many people Simeon grew to. He becomes one of the strongest tribes. In fact, David uh, would uh, write about them being strong, valiant warriors. They are powerful, mighty men. Because remember, they're zealous. They have a zealousness about them. They're righteous in wrath. You know, I mean, these guys are tough and they're huge in number. But over the period of the exile, when God would put faithfulness to the test, listen to that. There's a whole sermon in there. When God put faithfulness to the test, when things got hard and uncomfortable and you had to follow the word of God, Simeon dwindled down to 22,000. 200. They lost 37,000 people in 40 years of testing. 40 years of testing. It had been 40 years to the time of their judgment from their father, you know, from when they did it to their father. Then it goes on, the tribe will go into exile. For 40 years of testing, this tribe would lose considerably over and over, and their strength would end up be their weakness. You know, uh, Pastor Christian and I talk about this every now and then. Often, someone's strength is their weakness. You ever notice that? Your strength, like for instance, I'll give you mine. My strength is in systems, admin, leadership development, planning, organization. But my weakness then, even though that's my strength, my weakness is in being a people person. I have to really, really try hard to be a social people person because my strength is normally 
in administration, leadership, development, training. But it doesn't, you know, you're, I'm not, you can't be good at everything. And normally a person who's good at one thing is probably going to be kind of weak in the other area. So, but it's okay because we need a strength in every area, right? Uh, every person makes a whole. And so we can say, well, this person's really social and really good, but they're horrible at keeping track of bills and records and numbers, right? But their strength is in that, in being a social person. But sometimes being a social person is a weakness if we need you to do bills and budgeting, right? Simeon, too, his strength was in his righteous indignation and his zealousness and his fervor and his anger. And his, but yet, when it come down to it, it was also his weakness, they were known for their strength, but now they're going to be categorized for a weakness. There would come upon them a plague of sin because Simeon teaches in them compromise. He teaches in them double standard inconsistency. In Numbers 25, we have this thing called the sin of Peor. It's at this place where Israel is a place called Shittim. They intermarried with daughters of Moab. So here we are. We find them in that wilderness. Israel gets to a bad place. They begin to intermarry. And God gets so angry. You know how the sins of the parents sometimes become the sins of the kids. And it's kind of gone down. We see inconsistency in Jacob, passed down inconsistency in his sons. They've got this tendency towards anger and vengeance. It goes on, even though they're strong. All right, so the tribes all begin to intermarry. Most of the tribe of Simeon begins to intermarry. So here comes the day God gets angry. And he tells Moses, Moses, call the leadership out and start killing people who are marrying other pagan women. That pagan idolatry is coming in and corrupting the camp. I cannot bless you. You cannot be near my presence. This is a life or death moment. Start killing everybody. So Moses has people start getting slaughtered because they're like walking into the church house, just kind of like walking into the church house, vagrant in their sin. And then a plague, God sends a plague, and this plague starts killing people. It starts killing 24,000 people most of which is Simeon. And then one guy of Simeon comes in the present. Moses is having a prayer meeting. For God, forgive us for immorality. Forgive us for marrying outside of the faith. God, forgive us for idolatry because these uh, pagan women are bringing idolatry and the men are falling down to idolatry. As Moses and them are praying, the priest's son turns around and here comes a man from Simeon and his new Moabite woman and they leave the prayer meeting and go into their tent to do whatever. And so he runs in after them and stabs them both through. This is the Old Testament, rated R. Stabs them both through and through uh, with a pole. And then the plague stops and God, you know, says, Hey, this is what happens when you allow sin in the camp. Now, how does that translate to a New Testament theology? I don't have time to go into. But... but Simeon suffers a serious loss. Here's where we get probably down to the 22,000 mark. And at the end of this whole time, when Moses is about to leave and go up to heaven and die and, and go into the promise, and Moses prays a blessing over every tribe, just like Jacob does. He does not pray over Simeon. Think about that. Wouldn't you be kind of upset? <laughs> like, hey, dude, you're like the pope of the day, right? You're praying over every tribe, and none of us, we don't even get it. We're not even in the prayer. How do you miss one, two, three, four? There's, you only did 11. There's 12, dude. They don't even get mentioned in the prayer. By the time of the entrance into receiving God's promise, because of their unrighteous zealousness, their unrighteous anger, and inconsistency and division in their ranks, they dwindle to almost nothing. Uh, that's right. Yeah, that, uh, rebellion produces rebellion. That's right. And so what happens is Joshua comes along and begins to divide the land into the tribes. But Simeon, because of the prophecy in Joshua 19, because of what Jacob said, they get no definite land, no boundaries. They get no fences, right? They get no, here's your property and here's your estate uh, from God. And if you look on the map, what you see is this big red area on the southern part of Israel in the Negev Desert to the left of the Dead Sea, south of Jerusalem. All of that red is Judah. And what gives, is given to Simeon 
is in the middle. That's that blue line. They only get property within their uh, younger brother's property. They, they don't even get their own uh, town, their own single boundaries. Uh, one author says it's kind of like having a no centralized government. And instead, literally, Jacob's prophecy is fulfilled. They will be uh, divided and scattered. And I think when uh, you look at that and we talk about anger and uncontrolled anger, uh, that means that you're not in control in that moment. I don't know uh, if you've ever experienced that where anger begins to control you and you're like Dr. Jekyll, uh, what is it, uh, Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde, and all of a sudden you wake up and you're like, oh, what did I say? What had happened? Did I really do that? Oh, man, I'm so sorry for that. Because you're divided and your mind is scattered. And the consequence of that is a loss of power, a loss of influence. People don't respect you anymore. Uh, and everything in, uh, everything in your life, it basically says that their strength dwindled in significance. So if a father is having uh, outbursts of uncontrolled anger, your kids will not respect you, your wife will not trust you, uh, you'll find that your coworkers will talk, probably will talk about you. You'll probably lose your job on more than one occasion uh, because your significance will begin to dwindle because you can't let God bless you because you're not in control. And what does the Bible say? The fruit of the Holy Spirit is the last one is what? Self-control. The Holy Spirit produces self-control and it produces patience and gentleness and all this. So... Unrighteous anger can cause you to dwindle in insignificance. It can cause you to miss God's blessing. Proverbs says it's like a city that's broken into, has no walls. It's a man, as is a man who has no control over his spirit. Uh, you know, what does James say? James says, be slow to speak, slow to angry, because an anger of a man doesn't produce the righteousness of God. Okay, so then on, on one side, I'm thinking, okay, wait, wait, wait. So anger is bad. Anger of a man produces unrighteousness, division, insignificance, and scattered mind, scattered influence. But wait a minute, didn't, wouldn't, didn't Jesus get angry? Right? Jesus got angry. Do you remember the moment where he comes into the temple, he actually gets a whip out and starts whipping people? I mean, come on. You don't see that in Sunday school class a whole lot or people talking about that with the rainbow flag Jesus. I mean, this dude took out a whip, threw tables over, whipped people, kicked them out of the house of God. And if you look in John 2.17... What does it say? It says, zeal for your house will consume me. Zealousness or this righteous indignation. Righteous indignation will consume a spirit-filled person. So let's talk about that real quick and then go to Levi. What is righteous indignation again? Let me give you what one author says. It says, righteous indignation should be, number one, should be against sin. Number two, it should reflect God's concerns. That'll be about that sin or about that person or about that situation. And three, it should be expressed in a godly way, which really means it should be expressed under the control of the Holy Spirit. So the consequence of Simeon and Levi is that they were under the control of nothing. Anger was in control. But when Jesus does it, it says the Holy Spirit was in control. And if we are losing, like, if we're saying stuff we regret, that means we weren't in control. Because who was in control of saying that? Well, the flesh was, or the, the anger was. But when Jesus does it, <laughs> that Holy Spirit guarded every, <laughs> that Holy Spirit had every stroke of that whip. And it was aiming with deadly perfection and flipping it. I mean, the Holy Spirit was in control. And it was about godly things. And righteous anger will not get angry about you. Righteous anger will get angry for the glory of God. And that's a big key too. It will reflect godly concerns. I'm concerned that God is being mocked. I'm concerned that the house of God is being taken advantage of. I'm concerned that the doors are shutting in the church. I'm angry at drugs and addiction and pornography. I'm angry at adultery. I'm angry at sin. I'm angry at these things. And I express that anger with the control of the Holy Spirit. So the Holy Spirit might tell me to go start an after-school program to help children out. The Holy Spirit, and that can come out of righteous indignation, righteous anger. Whereas 
uncontrolled, unbridled anger is going to cause me to post a lot of things on Facebook that I shouldn't or yell at people who are on the opposite political party or whatever, right? Uh, so here's what we find is they've lost significance and they're scattered. Okay, now let's talk about Levi because this is good. Levi means attached to God. So just like his brother Simeon, look in Exodus 32, verse 25. All right, so flip the coin over. Levi finds himself in the same predicament. He's got the same punishment as his brother because he's got the same temperament. How many people know? How many people in your family you could say, "Man, you just you act just like mom. You act just like dad. You got the same temper. You got the same speech." Or maybe you talk about your your spouse. You just act like just like your dad. You just act just like your mom. You know, you got the same issues. Levi had the same issues as his brother. They both get mad, too too mad. He finds Joshua to do the same thing to him. He finds the prophecies to be the same to him. He is divided and he is scattered. He gets no inheritance in the land. He gets no allotment in the land. But, it's a big but here, he receives a place of honor that no other tribe has received before or since. He gets uh, only cities in the land. He gets only 48 cities. That's the only thing the tribe of Levi will get from their inheritance. The only thing. They're only going to get 48 cities in the whole nation of Israel between all 12 tribes. But something happens. So, remember, these boys are cursed by the Holy Spirit through their father. We don't talk about the cursing very much. But these guys are cursed. They're cursed. And it's not really that God is cursing them. It's that the sin they commit produces a cursing. That's the way I interpret it, okay? Uh, but Exodus 32, how many people remember the golden calf incident? Moses comes in off the mountain, meets with God, finds these people in Aaron making a golden calf, an image to God. Uh, worshiping, falling down, bringing their pagan idolatry from Egypt into the play. Moses gets mad, uh, makes them drink it, rebukes Aaron, and these people won't stop partying. So here's what happens. Moses calls the people to the side of the... uh, Moses stands in the gate of the camp and says, Who is on the Lord's side? Let him come to me. And all the sons of Levi gathered themselves together unto him. And he said to them, Thus saith the Lord God of Israel... Put every man his sword by his side. Go in and out from gate to gate throughout this camp. Slay every man and his brother, and every man and his companion, and every man and his neighbor. And the children of Levi did according to the word of Moses. And there fell of the people that day 3,000 men. For Moses had said, Consecrate yourselves today to the Lord. And even every man upon his son and upon his brother, and that he may bestow upon you a blessing this day. So they're having a party. Moses is trying to preach repentance. They won't listen. The whole plan of God is about to go out the, out the building because sin is in the camp and God can't bless nor be in them. So Moses is filled with the Holy Spirit. He, he says, who's going to follow the Lord? Who's going to stand with us? Are we going to leave this place or just go back and die in Egypt? And Levi, in that righteous zealousness that is on him, that those people stand with Moses. Come up, they come out, wake up out of their sin, Stand with Moses. And they go start killing people who are not stopping the party so that people will wake up and listen. And save that just by that, maybe the whole lot will be saved. And it's, it's a kind of a hard thing for us to take in because actually that's kind of what's going on right now in the world. That some may go to hell, but it's that some may be saved. You've got to read Romans a little bit. That God is willing to endure vessels prepared for destruction in that that some might be saved. He was allowed that some would die for the salvation of the whole camp, it was that some might, some had to die that would not be saved anyway. They had to go kill them so that people would wake up and return to God. So you kind of see mercy on that if you're kind of confused with the theology. But here's what happens. Something awesome. This curse now turns to a blessing. They were cursed in that there was no inheritance. God would not undo that word. God's word is done. It is finished when he says it. God does not undo his word. But what he does is he makes it, I don't know if he's got loopholes or whatever he does, but he makes it okay. They're not going to receive an inheritance. They're not going to get any boundaries. They're not going to get any land. They're not going to get a 401k. They're not going to get any benefit of that. But what God tells Levi then In Deuteronomy chapter 10, verse 9, Wherefore, Levi has no longer any inheritance with his brothers. The Lord is his inheritance, according as the Lord thy God promised him. Their zeal, 
their unrighteous zeal is what cursed them. But when they gave their zealousness to the Lord, God turned it to a blessing. Think about that. I, my past, I have a past. I have issues in my past. My past, really, you can't undo the consequences sometimes from your past. If you got divorced as a young person, you'll forever be divorced from that. I mean, you're going to live with that. If I had a kid out of wedlock, I'm going to have to live with that. If I, uh, you know, stole $1,000 from my boss and, and went to jail for a short period and got that on my record, I will have that the rest of my life. There's a past there. But Levi had this passion that got him into trouble. And when he had a past because of his passion, but he gave his passion to the Lord, it turned out that God made his past turn into a blessing, right? His, his, his past gave him a promise in the Lord when he gave him his passion. So from this point on, here's what happens. Levi begins to represent all the other brothers before the Lord. He becomes the priest. He becomes the intercessor. So Levi then becomes a minister. He and his, the Levites would then begin to uh, help his brothers find God, help them make a sacrifice to God, help them fulfill the law, help them to avoid judgment, and it helped them to teach the law and to know the word and to stay close to God. So where before his passion had called him to be uncontrolled, now he's going to be under the control of God. Before he was uh, going haywire and killing people, now he's going to be trying to save people. And so it's really cool. So he, uh, let me go back one slide. He begins to minister between God and between man. Oh, and I just turned it off. Between God and between man. Yeah, well, another day, another time. He ministers between God and between man. Then he also it says that if you would see the tabernacle, and I had a picture of it, but it's okay. If you would see the tabernacle, three tribes camp on every side. So if you have a square, you know, you have a square where the tabernacle, the Ark of the Covenant is. Three tribes are going to be to the east. Three tribes are going to be to the north. Three tribes are going to be to the, the west. And three tribes are going to be to the south, all camping. That'd be 12, all around it. Then the inner circle is the tribe of Levi. They're going to have one clan on the north, one clan on the, uh, the south, one clan on the east, one clan on the west. Moses and Aaron will be at the east gate, uh, where you would actually enter into the, the promise and the presence of God, Moses and Aaron and his family, they'd have three other tribes of Levite. What this was for is that if you were to go up as an unclean, unholy person and accidentally touch the tent of their tabernacle, you would die. You would die. And so the ministers of Levites, who were always keeping themselves pure and holy, would prevent you from unwillingly coming under the judgment or the wrath of God. You hear a ministry sermon in this. What do pastors and, and Christians do today? We are to stand between God and man, making intercession for the world. And who's the ultimate one who did this? Jesus Christ. He's a, the prophetic high priest, the Levite. He stands to make intercession, to make a way that a sacrifice can be made between man make the sacrifice, bring it in appropriate way to God, and also to stand as a barrier, as a warning. Do not go this far, for judgment awaits you. And Levi were a warning. They were a saving message, a good news message of how to get to God, and a message of repentance or preventative judgment. And the same is true. Jesus would come and be a, a prophesied Levite, you and I, the Bible says, have been made to be a kingdom of priests and revelation. So, in a sense, Levi's becomes a, a messianic message and a Christian message to say, look, you have no inheritance other than the Lord. Levites would begin to live on the tithe, meaning they would live by faith. Uh, you know, like pastors and, and leaders in the church do today, we live on the tithe of the church or the tithe of the people, trusting God for our provision. As we, uh, as Levites would work full time uh, for the things of God, they would, their brothers were ordered to pay tithe in the temple. A portion of that would go to the priests and to the Levites because they couldn't get a secular job because they were so busy 
making sure men could get to God and wouldn't fall into judgment. That God said, this is a full-time job for you. And so you minister to me before the people, make intercession. You keep men from falling away from my law. And we'll, I'll make sure I will be your inheritance. You trust me to provide for you. And so the Levites worked full-time. They, every family in the entire tribe received part of this tithe. They received 48 cities around the area that they could minister effectively. And then, get this, I think it's six cities. Let me look real quick. Six cities would be called cities of refuge. Yes, six Levitical towns. Now, watch what God does. If you were to accidentally kill someone, back over them with your car unintentionally, and that day was an eye for an eye in many cultures. And so if you kill my uncle, I'm going to kill you. Then guess what's happened? Then you're going to kill my uncle, and I'm going to kill your uncle, and we kind of go back and forth. If you wanted to flee from this persecution of this family, you go to a Levitical city, one of these cities of refuge, and you could not be killed. You could not be touched. You would be safe there until that family member died or there would be a way to find out judgment in the right way, okay? This becomes the place of refuge. What did Levi get cursed for? Killing in revenge. What does he get known for later? Saving people from revenge. God has an awesome way to make a Christian, a person who was known as the most prolific drug dealer, who was out there selling drugs, to be going forth and being one of the main proponents of saving people. You know what I mean? We were dealing death before, now we're dealing life. Look how God can take someone's past, and if they will give him their passion, he will give them a new purpose. Uh, And that's those three last words. If we would give God our past and our passion, he would give us a new purpose. And so God has this awesome... I mean, Levite, for me, I could talk about him for more than one week of how we could look and say, he's trusting God by faith now every day. He's making intercession between God and man. He is preaching a message of good news, how to be saved. He's preaching a message of repentance, of do not fall into judgment. He is now at a place where his life and his family stands all across the country as a place where you can find refuge in a time of need. If that does not preach the gospel message for what you and I as Christians are to be. So you have a choice. You could say we could be Simeon and be uncontrolled with our fleshly passions and let things take our natural course, and we're going to find a loss of influence, of power, of weakness. Our strength will become a weakness. We'll lose influence. We'll come into nothingness. At the end of our life, we will find that we have nothing. No blessing, no power, no influence, no inheritance. Simeon would go on, and the Bible says, uh, if you study it out, it says they would become the poorest tribe. And actually, if you saw a poor person, you'd probably say, that must be a Simeonite. They'd have poverty. You know, you see these people who are so strong in the prime of their years. And, man, I was a star quarterback football player in high school, and I lived for me, and blah, blah, blah. And then years later goes by, and they're on a cane, and they've got nothing. All their knees are blown out, and everything they live for is gone. You know, all that money, they made millions in the NFL, and they're just, nothing's left. But you see the vitality of man's strength. But then when you give everything over to the Lord, it may not look like much in this earth. Like, well, Levi, you don't have pastures and fields and nice houses and wealth. But at the same time, you say, I have the most privileged and honored position. I stand in the gap between God and a fallen world, making intercession for people, helping people find a way to get back to God. And God is my portion God is my inheritance. Man, because it's in, it's in heaven. It's, it's in another world. It's in another, another dimension, another place. And so I, I'm encouraged by Levi. And, and that's, uh, one, as a pastor, I just look at it and like, yeah! You know, God can take what was once nothing and make it something and, and give you a place of honor when it seems like it was a, a curse. You think, well, how can I ever live with my reputation? How could I uh, ever get over my past and... And if, but if you give your passion to the Lord, man, what he can do, he may not undo it all. Levi, the consequence of that sin was that he'd never have an inheritance, but God says, that's okay. I'll be your inheritance. I'll undo that curse with a blessing. 
You know, you're going to have the consequence of that sin. That's going to be the consequence. I'm not going to undo what I said. That's a consequence. You have to live with that consequence. But at the same time, he can make those consequences seem so light. You know what Jesus says? He says, come and, and take from me. My yoke is easy. My burden. He didn't say you don't have a yoke or a burden, but it says it's lighter. And sometimes people are living with the burdens of their past for so many years. If you would just give that passion to the Lord, man, what he could do with that. Uh, and I'm going to stop preaching and end it all here but because uh, I want to have time for discussion. But give your past to the Lord. Give your passion and give your purpose. And I think about, and I'll end with this, I think about Paul. And what did Paul say in Philippians? He says, I was a Pharisee of Pharisee. I was zealous. I was passionate. I was killing Christians, but I was zealous and I was passionate. And zealousness is not enough. You can be zealous by a lot of things. I can be zealous for food and fishing and hunting and sports and, and shopping. I can be zealous for the Internet. I can be zealous for all kinds of things. But when you give your zealousness to the Lord, what happens to Paul? He becomes the most prolific writer of the New Testament, plants churches all over the known world, and he, he gives that passion which was misdirected and gives it to God. And he lived, I think he lived with the regret of watching Stephen being stoned. I think he lived with the regret of all those Christians he persecuted. For the, he, he, you can't undo that. It's done. But what God could do once he gave it over, and that's the story of Levi. And here's some heroes from Levi. Remember, Simeon has no reference, no nothing. And in fact, Simeon will fall away into apostasy. You'll never hear from him again. They'll have no inheritance. They'll fall away into Judah. Uh, they'll end up going uh, with the northern tribes into a pagan idolatry. But Levi, because he gave the past and passion to the Lord, from his line would produce Moses, Arian, Aaron, Miriam, Samuel, Ezekiel, Ezra, Malachi, John the Baptist, the apostles Mark, Matthew, and Barnabas. All because they said, yes, God will stand with you. Here's my passion. Yeah, I'm a, I'm a little hot-headed, but God loves to have hot-headed people. He can do a lot with hot-headed people. You know, here, God, I'm, I'm weak in this, but okay, well, I'm just going to give my weakness to the Lord. God can do a lot with that weakness. And so be encouraged with that. And God, help us, oh God, not to think, Lord, our issue is so big, you can't use us. And Lord, we just come and say, Lord, I want to be used by you. I stand ready at your side. Oh, God, if you would call and say, who will stand with me? God, that me and my house say yes. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. And let my whole family, my wife, my kids, all of our spouses, our children, God, those that are in our home today, God, we have homes that are ministry centers across this community, places of refuge, God, for broken, messed up people, they can come find refuge, not just in the church house, but even in our homes. In Jesus' name. Everybody said? Amen. Amen. Give somebody some love on the way out. Thank you all for being here tonight. Give somebody.